we're fortunate in 2018 that we have had so many great video game franchises over the last couple of years. Call of Duty, Destiny, God of War, Red Dead Redemption now. But but let us not forget perhaps the original and maybe still to this day best video game franchise, Super Smash Brothers and its upcoming release, which is going to change the world for all of us. So mm-hmm. to Super Smash Brothers and Nintendo for making a great Justice for Waluigi. Hey everybody, I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix 6, where we have six beers, six conversations, and rate them on a five-point scale, because six times six times five is 180, and that is the key code to the numerology cipher to win our ARG. So if you've been playing along you, at home, yeah, if you've been playing along for the last two years, it's heating up. You just won the lottery. The, the quest for the gold is getting close. <laughs> what if all we've been doing with this Patreon money is just setting it aside for the one person who can figure out this ready? No, we all work for J.J. Abrams. We're preparing for his next movie. <laughs> Man, yeah, uh, it's elaborate. This Viral time. marketing. Yeah, Caleb, what are what have we gotten ourselves into today? Well. uh Y'all stopped sending us beer, which I understand. Uh, it can be expensive. Uh, so I took some of this hard-end Patreon money, and I went to the biggest damn liquor store I've ever seen in St. Louis. And I just I just loaded up. And when I did, I realized that in my just supermarket sweep fervor through these halls, I had uh, grabbed five Stillwaters we'd not tried before. That seemed like enough for an episode, so I just slapped those all in a sixer, picked one random off the top to fill it out. We're going to see who's going to get that sweet relief. We're going to do a whole... (laughs) For episode 50, I figured we needed to do a whole Stillwater episode to sort of celebrate this whole endeavor moving forward. What lucky brewery didn't know that they were going to be the de facto winner of today's Mix 6 episode just by not being a Stillwater beer? I don't know. I blind picked it, too. I'm real excited to see. We'll see which one comes up. (laughs) Exciting. Um, hey, well, if you've listened to us for any amount of time, you know that as we drink those beers, we review them on a five-point scale. I'm going to say we don't break a three today. That's my. That's the bet I'm willing to hedge. Your that, bat's pointing towards the center field. And okay. I'm willing to be wrong here and admit if I've had something more than a three. But the only way we'll really know where we are on this whole thing is by introducing our rating scale. And today, Caleb, you have rated our five-point system. So what are we talking about? Uh, so I'm going to rate this based on the whiskey bottle design. Super topical. Not the whiskey within it. No. So it's got nothing to do with the whiskey Very importantly, it, not the whiskey But it. it is the whiskey bottle's design, which is an aesthetic object. Uh, that I'm growing more appreciative of, as for some reason I tend to have more and more of these empty whiskey bottles lying around, as if by magic. Um, and so I'm going to rate those. So a one, a whiskey bottle you don't want to buy, and a beer you don't want to drink. It's going to be lead slingers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one all the way around there. Yeah. So it's the I support the troops of whiskey. It's it's like. They engraved a bunch of glass with nationalistic slogans, and then just tied like a like a dirty Ed Hardy shirt around it. Yeah. Um, it is disgusting. It's a WWE uh, heel as whiskey. Yes. Uh, and it, it tastes like ball sweat, and you kind of look like a tall glass of ball sweat when you're carrying it around. Uh, you look real douchey when you're carrying about a bottle of Lead Slingers. If memory serves, a number of movie days have ended poorly because of Lead Slingers. Well, yeah, Baz brings it to torture us. Uh, exactly. But, you know, 
Don't judge him too harshly for that, ex- except you should. What's a two? Uh, two's going to be Crown Royale. All right, so it's the end of the semester. You got your book money back. You want to drink something fancy because you passed that class you didn't think you are going to pass. So you go buy Crown Royale because it's purple and it's got a bag. And isn't that fancy? And then you have a sip of it out of like, a, I don't know, a come and go plastic cup in your you know four or five roommate apartment. And you realize it tastes like ass. But you can drink the rest of it by just mixing it with Coke like you should have to have in the middle. And you have a dice bag. So it could be worse. I don't. Dice bag hype. I don't feel as bad about Crown Royal as you do, if I'm being totally honest. It's gaudy. It is a whiskey bottle decorated by like Gaddafi or something. It's a dice bag. It is a golden golden cheetah chase lounge of whiskey containers. I do think that, at least for me, it was a misunderstanding of what good whiskey was because it came with some accoutrement at some point. Uh, so good whiskey comes that. with bags. Right. But I'm still not sure it's the worst thing on the shelf. It's at least better than Lead Slinger, so I'll give you that. Okay. All right. What's a three? Uh, I'm going to go with Joseph Magnus. Ooh, it's a five on the drinking. It's a five on the drinking. Three. So here's the thing. If you walk into a movie bar and you say you want bourbon, the bottle they're going to give you in a Western, in a, in a hard-boiled crime noir, crime noir in oh, anything, definitely. is going to be a Joseph Magnus bottle because visually it's just, oh, well, that's bourbon. Yeah. Um, it's not super great. I, I believe most of the, you know, neck of that is plastic. Probably. Uh, there's like very little glass occurring in it, but it is, uh, a, a sort of platonic bourbon bottle. Which it's you, it's you stunning go looking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four is going to come as no surprise to anybody. It's going to be Blanton's. Amen. Looks like a video game power up. Feels like it in your hand. I treat it like a health potion. And... Bottle tops are literally collectible drops. You got to get them all. Got to get every letter. Uh, I, I'm just excited to see. John Wick drinks Blanton. Do you, do you need more? Do you need more aesthetic the, the justification is, than John Wick drinks it? When you look at, you know, like a, a standard bar wall where they've got all of their spirits lined up, um, the fact that I don't need to look at bottles or labels, I can look for that tiny fucking horse. Yeah, what's as, that What's that squat symmetrical fellow, though, with the little horse on top? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah exactly. That that I can look for like a little a little motherfucker just like moving down the you know the Churchill Downs and be like oh I want that um, I really looks appreciate like it that. should like have like an upward ground light and be spinning slowly over the corpse of an enemy you just defeated That's exactly right uh, so number five is going to be a newfound thing again from Baz he brings the best and the worst you know you really have to take the lead slingers because he brings the worst but he bought me a bottle of Savage and Cook's Second Glance. Uh, and they also have another one called Burning Chair. I don't know what I've seen. Burning oh, Chair. man. So these are these glass bottles that are painted just... <laughs> they they saw glass. They're like, well, you know the worst part of it. It's not completely opaque. Mm. They paint the whole thing matte black, and then they put the cover to a Don DeLilo novel on the front of it. Really it they are gorgeous. Gorgeous bottles that are stunning to see, visually arresting. Um, they put the art on the corner, so you're 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 manifesting the image on a corner placement rather than a flat placement across the uh, front or sides. Yeah, um, it is it is the most gorgeous bottle of whiskey I've ever seen. I don't know that I've it's ever stood and just looked at a bottle of alcohol longer than when I walked in in Oklahoma City and you showed me that second glance. Yeah, I mean, I just I didn't want to drink it. I didn't want to open it. I just wanted to look around. Pretty good, it. too. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally drinkable whiskey. Not the best on the list for that, yeah. but still pretty good. Hey, with that, we're going to use those five different bottle designs. We're going to drink a couple different beers, and we're going to start by grabbing one now. We'll be right back with Dissecting Our Fun.
Spencer, what did you draw out of our bag of delights? Well, this is not the rando. This is the first of our five Stillwater Artisanal Fair hey, for the day. Hey, we've had a four Stillwater before, so... Have we could really? Be, yeah, we oh, okay. could be anything. I think it was a farmhouse, actually. Yeah. Yeah, 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 they do that well. Well, that's good news, because this is from Stillwater Artisanal and Two Roads Brewing, which which is either a way to pull someone up with you or down with you. And I have a feeling this is going in a direction. It's the Ground Loop Sour Saison. It's in a big old can, because big old can. you know you want to drink that much of it. So anyways, obviously we haven't had it. Stillwater rule for the Stillwater beer. Here we go. Yeah, it only makes sense. Scent is pretty good. Oh, the, nice. The nose makes me likey. All right. He is taking a sip. It's that tall still water can, because, you know, once you get some still water, you can't get enough. That's, that's, mm, all right. Wow. I, see, it seems like it's pretty good. Well, hold on. <laughs> it was. You had a temporary smile so, there, and then it went away here, really fast. Now my eyes are watering. So yeah. there was like there was some sour on the front, and, and a little had, tear gas in the back. Well, it had some of that like um, saison kind of funkiness, like on uh-huh. the. And I was like, "Ooh, this is working really well together." And then the funkiness really just like came barging through the back Turned end of the bathroom. volume so, near the end. Huh? I'm gonna hit one more time, and then we'll go from there. Just going back in there. Yep, he's a brave man. There, he's just. Uh... How's the second time around that loop? Get it? Oh! <laughs> it's called Ground Loop, motherfucker. I think it's a three. That is not right. offensive. Um, drink it. I think that's a drinkable beer. Except for the tear gas. Um, the oh, that's fine. Yeah. 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 That ain't bad at all. No, I would drink Good this job, again. Good water. Yeah. Do you want to try Russ? Yeah. I would drink this again. I'm not going to go out of my way to find it. Um, but if, if it showed up in front of me or it was the best thing on the menu, I'd absolutely order it. I don't. Well, we spun the cylinder and... The gun went click. So here we are. I guess we got to talk about something. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to talk about dissecting our fun, a game we just played by the uh, quickly, emergently dominant Pandasaurus. Uh, we just played Illusion. <clears throat> Pandasaurus, man. Uh, the people that fixed the game and turned it into the mind. <laughs> yeah, the mind, which is nearly perfect. Yeah. I mean, really and truly. Um, Pandasaurus kind of has like a theme for some of their games. We've talked about the game before. We've mocked the game before. Which is, can you learn to play it in literal seconds? Right, right, right. And can it be reduced to the equivalent of like 110 cards and put in a very small box you can carry with you anywhere? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've done this at least three times now. I'm not familiar with their whole suite, but the game, The Mind, which if you want to play the game, just play The Mind. Yeah. And then Illusion, which is um, similar concept that you're all dealing with a shared deck of cards, a shared tableau, maybe even. Um, But uh, you're now making different decisions. So in Illusion, uh, you're worried about color and the percentage of color available on a card rather than specific numbers. So here's what happens in a game of Illusion. Um, It's like two to five, I think, is the player count. And unlike the game and the mind, where you're working collaboratively together so that everyone can win... In Illusion, you're trying to beat the other players at the table. So at the start of a round, someone is going to pull cards from two piles, uh, a pile of arrow cards and a pile of color cards. The arrow cards will have arrows pointing in a specific direction. Of a certain color. That's right. Up, down, left, right. You have got to be able to see color to play this game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, The arrows will be pointing up or down or left or right, and they'll be green or red or blue, any of the colors which are available in the game on the color cards. You set the the arrow card down facing a given direction, and then the arrow direction is then the direction in which cards ought to get bigger or smaller. By that, I mean. Also, you'll, you'll set down a color card, and that color card will act as the base card for the round. 
then that color card is going to have any number of random designs on it. And those designs are going to feature a variety of different colors, green, red, yellow, blue. Uh, and then the next player is going to pull a card off of the color card deck. And then based on whatever color the arrow is, so if the arrow is blue, that player needs to decide if there is more or less blue on the card they've just pulled than the card that has currently been placed on the table, what we would call the base And the card. art styles of these cards are drastically different. Some of them are just circles. Some right. of them are these weird triangle tesseracts. Some are words. Things. Some are like the word area in word art, just written in different colors. Yeah. Um, and it makes one of the most uniquely stressful experience. That's another thing of Pandasaurus's games. Like right. How much stress can we fit into the tiniest box? Right. A lot. This, yeah, there's we, and you're just agonizing over and, it. An absolute ton. Yeah. Uh, and, and then play continues around the table as players pull cards. And then based on the color of the arrow, again, if the arrow is blue, they try to place that card in, in the line of cards where it belongs based on the amount of blue it has in it, left to right, up or down, etc. Um, at some point someone is going to disagree with card placement. So let's say that, you know, Caleb is to my right, he places a card on my turn, rather than draw a card from the color deck and continue to place it, I can say, I don't believe it. And now what I'm doing is I'm challenging that someone has placed the cards in the right order regarding the percentage of blue on a given card. And at that point then, play stops, and we turn the cards upside down where it lists the percentage of color breakdown on the back of each card. And then you just try to figure out, are the are colors... Are you going in ascending order or not? Exactly if right. you're not, you win the arrow card as a point. But if you called, I don't believe it, and it was correct, That's right. the person behind you wins the arrow card. That's exactly card, right. The last person who placed. First yeah. person to get three arrow cards, or the person with the most arrow cards through 12 rounds, which would be all of the arrow cards played, is the winner. So anyways, we tried this with five players. Take seconds. Day. You can literally keep it in your purse. It's exactly right. In your wallet. It's, yeah. Yeah. It took me three minutes to learn, uh, mm -hmm. which is great. You just read one box on a rule book, which is fit nicely inside that small game board or small game box. We played it with five players. Um, I think five may have been one too many just because I was. Here's what ends up happening, or at least what ended up happening when we played it. The amount of time you spend looking at these cards becomes absurd because because we're not talking about massive variants. Sure, one card may be 45% red next to a card that's 6% red, but on multiple occasions, we were talking about a card that was 9% red versus 10% red yeah. or 9% red versus 9% red. <laughs> and because they're all different shapes and because the colors are divided in weird ways and they show up in a variety of different spots along the card, you're really doing some mental math, kind of combining elements, thinking how much of the card do I think this makes up, so on and so forth. My my favorite part of the game is how people invent systems and how those systems are always wrong. Like right. Brandy was like measuring her pinky nail to do counts and like width of various things. Yeah. And you just always end up psyching yourself out. L right. Literally the best tactic is like let your eyes just go loose like a magic eye painting. Yeah. And just kind of fucking guess i mean i think that, i think that's the right strategy yeah. yeah i don't i mean i tried a couple of different things i also didn't win so it's like Meh. um you don't realize how much time you're going to end up spend looking at those cards on your turn sometimes. Um, and so I think five may have been a little too much just for our party. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, it plays five really well. Um, I just think it was a little too much for us. I think at three to four players, that game plays really well and is very interesting. Um, so if you're looking for, I think it was $19.99 at Gen Con. I don't know if there's a more expensive I, price now. I'm just enamored with their <clears throat> business model. Like, right. It's solid game design. Yeah. They're not poorly designed games. No. Um, 
They've it's also a, made some bigger stuff, like Wasteland Express. Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. I mean, they make good games, but like this idea of like, let's make the yeah. smallest possible game yes. with the best, <laughs> easiest to learn design. Let's put it in a box that, with the cards, probably cost them $3 to make. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe right. less than that. And let's sell that bitch for $20? Yeah. Like, damn, that's smart, Pandasaurus. Pandasaurus ain't going out of business anytime soon. I, I literally didn't even know that it was coming out, and I, I sought them out at Gen Con to buy The Mind because mm-hmm. we played it with you and loved it so much. Yeah. And while I was there, the guy was like, this one's only 20 bucks, and it's a similar game. And I was like, fuck it. Um, and that's kind of what you want for a $20 yeah, and game. Yeah, and it's, it's going crazy now. Like, it's it's the same buzz about as people had about The Mind. Right, it's an add-on game. So, <clears throat> all that to say, if you're looking for a quick, easy-to-play, really interactive, fairly fun cheaper game for game night, a good filler game, a good opener game, I would definitely recommend buying Illusion. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, cool. So that's uh, Mix 6 Recommends on Dissecting Our Fun. With that note, we're going to grab probably another Stillwater, and we'll be back on the other side for Armchair, nope, for Professional Drinker, something we haven't done in a while. Yeah. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a still water, believe it or not. Interesting. And surprising. Um, I'm going to drink Cellar Door, a dry hopped farmhouse wheat ale with sage. I was with you until sage. I was with it until sage as well. I'm a little worried about that. Also, I have no doubt if we asked Stillwater, they would say this is the reference to the linguist who said Celador was the most beautiful thing, but I know it's a Donnie Darko reference, Stillwater. You ain't fooling I don't know, but I don't know that they would say that. This is also the same brewery that put out what classic postmodern. Like they watch some Donnie Darko is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. How are we feeling? Oh, he doesn't seem offended. Actually, he's, eh, he seems inquisitive now. And he's thinking eh, downturn. The the mouth is downturn a little bit. That's a very good wheat saison. I don't think the sage is helping it at all. Right, and you yeah. really catch it on the end. Yeah, it wouldn't help. Um, that, but the sage brings it down to just a three for me. Otherwise, oh. that would be a very serviceable Saison uh, weed. I'm going to give that a shot. Uh, farmhouse, sorry. Not Saison. The last one was a Saison. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, but it's a very good farmhouse. I like it quite a bit. It seems like they do the uh, the kind of funky farmhouse Saison. That seems to be their the Farmhouse Saison seems to be their, their, they need to stay there. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Hey, well, I try this. What are we talking about? We're going to talk about in Professional Drinker, something that Janice asked. Thanks, Janice. Uh, so Janice suggested, what are your recommendations or experiences with drinking slash open bar work events or other events where maintaining the appearance of professionalism and responsibility is required, i.e. networking, etc., when you are known to be a drinking enthusiast? Asking as a brewer and a beer enthusiast who gets roped into too many conversations around the keg. Uh, quick note, I don't, that's probably a two for me. I do get the sage a little bit, and I'm wondering if sage doesn't have a similar effect of like um, uh, cilantro. Sage like really stands out to me. And the, the, it doesn't stand out a lot for me. I don't right. think it's helping though. Right? No, it's yeah. definitely not. It makes it taste like um, what I think like some very expensive organic soap might taste like. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a fantastic farmhouse if Stillwater wasn't doing its typical try hard. Right? Because there's but, the, there's you know, some lightness in there. Stillwater got a Stillwater that I really like. Anyways, um, chose this question out of the Ask Mix 
six for a couple of reasons, that Ben for a couple of reasons. One is to say hi to Janice. Um, I'm pretty sure this is Janice McCambridge. I hope it is. Yeah, Janice as a brewer, you get this way more than we do. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and if it is, if it's not, I'm sorry for, for, for misappropriating the last name. And if it is, hi, guys. We miss you very much. Um, thanks for sending us beer a while back. You're the best. Anyways, second reason I picked it is because I actually just went through this very thing um, because we had our open house for Mostly Serious the other night. So we just moved into a new office space. It's really beautiful. And we had an open house. We ended up having about 125 people out um, to tour the thing. Bill Sundwall came out because Bill's fucking great like that. Um, And uh, we had both Mother's Brewing set up there because they're a client of ours Mm -hmm. with two of their beers. And one of those was Winter Grind, one of my favorites. Yeah. And then 4x4 Brewing, uh, which is a new local brewery that we've really enjoyed. I mean, making some fantastically good beer. Just so happens to be down the road from our new office. And so I called them and I said, listen, we're doing an open house. You guys have any interest in serving beer to these people? There's going to be a lot of folks there. They did. And they brought out a couple of beers, one of which is their black IPA. And then you made them fight you for your affection. I did. I did. I set them up in competing corners (laughs) of the same space. And Mm -hmm. I was like, who's going to ring a bell? Somebody make something happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Their black IPA, which I also think is one of the best beers in town. Um, And so here's what I want to say about this whole notion of... How do you avoid getting stuck in lengthy conversations? How do you avoid getting questions um, in in an event where alcohol is not only present but in some ways featured, um, and people know that you have a you you have an alcohol thing sounds wrong, but know that you kind of have a vocabulary for an interest or a passion um, in these things. So here's what I did the other night. I tried not to carry beer around all night because I didn't want to talk about the podcast. I wanted to talk about Mostly Serious. That was the important thing. Mm -hmm. And at other networking events, even locally in town that I've been to, if I have a drink in my hand, uh, if I have a beer, uh, chances are someone there knows that I do a podcast about beer, and then they want to talk about that Mm -hmm. thing. So I tried not to have a a beer in my hand all night because I didn't want it to be a conversation starter. I also didn't want it to be a fallback for me because I'm a really bad small talker. And so sometimes the easy thing to start talking about is beer. If, If it's awkward and it's uncomfortable, and it's very awkward and uncomfortable. There were a bunch of people who came through our building the other night that I don't know, and I was gonna have to talk to, and I didn't want my go to to be like oh what are you drinking oh cool i'm a big fan of and then insert you know kind of like beer reference there's some disappointment <clears throat> with it and i imagine janice feels it as well yeah. especially as a brewer but there's some disappointment and i've i've discovered with it now i never get it when i'm talking to fans because fans normally listen to our podcast they know what we've had before they know our, how our tastes land and they're also outside of our distribution area most right. of the time so <laughs> i'm usually very interested in when i hear fans because they're talking about stuff i've never heard of before sure, yeah making recommendations but like Locally, when I talk to people around who know I run a beer podcast and are just like, and it's like, have you tried Blue Moon? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I, I have, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. have. Tried. It's pretty good Belgian. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know what to do with that. And I'm excited right. to recommend stuff, but at a certain point, like even your recommendations fall threat flat. Like it's just like, like what's your favorite thing? I remember I went to a, a, a work thing and and someone said. Um, What's the favorite beer you're drinking right now? And so uh, bring that. And so I brought three philosophers because I was like all about three philosophers at that point. And I put it in the fridge with a bunch of Miller Lite. Yeah. And it just felt like the fridge should explode yeah. from the sheer disconnect. Yeah. And I felt weird and out of place. Yeah. Like, and I don't, I don't even have like, I am not a, what is it, a Cicerone or like, you've heard us talk about beer. Right. 
I mean, we might as well be throwing anime references right. when we're talking about how it tastes. We're as on point, like it's ridiculous. So, but I imagine if you like brewed beer for a living, it would be just that times a million. Right. Like, oh, totally. It, well, and, and they're if it's Janice and Mark, they're home brewers by nature, but they do they they do quite a bit of home brewing. Um, here's another thing I tried the other night. So, sat down to dinner um, over at Farmer's Gastro Pub, uh, which has a, a pretty good beer list of all the places in town. Um, and I sat down with Stuart and Lauren uh, and the the Lipscombs. They're absolutely wonderful. And um, Stuart sat down, and the first thing he said to me was, "Sorry, I'm late. I was leaving a vaporwave concert." Uh, which is really no, he absolutely wasn't. He was just trolling me oh, okay. for the podcast. I was going to say there's and, one in Springfield. No, <laughs> bless him for making honestly one of the best inside jokes I've ever. Ross, come back into the room. <laughs> Stop. Right, but I was a little bit worried, right? Because the moment he said it, I was like, "Oh, okay." He no, wasn't sad. The, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, we're all sad. <laughs> He listens to the podcast. Is he going to want, uh, is there going to be some weird disconnect about beer here, right? Where like, I'm really into beer and he's not really into beer, but no, he's really into beer. So to avoid the, the like, oops, I started talking about three philosophers and you were talking about like, you know, bud gold or whatever. Um, he asked me what I liked and I was like, what kind are you into? And he had this like really robust beer vocabulary and it was like, oh, great. Okay. Well, now I know. Also, oh, like, sort of a test. Yeah. Well, yeah. not really. I, I mean, I wasn't sure. That's how it well, functions. Well, it's a test for what I should say. That's exactly yeah. right. It at least lets me know, like, what kinds of beers we should be talking about. You know what I mean? To, to be clear, I'm not judging anyone for having no, no, a, no, no, no. a fridge full of Miller Lite, because that's been me. Right. But that is me on multiple occasions now. Right. But it's, it's it's uh you know, you don't want to be th- throwing around recommendations outside of their lane. No, basically. there's no value in the conversation. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of the central point of one of the central points of Janice's question here is, is there really any value in talking? We've tried, what, like 400 beers almost at this point. I think, you know, like it's coming up soon. Coming up soon. Right. Um, is there really any value in talking about? 380 of those beers if they're not interesting not of a style the person is going to like if uh they're not in our distribution area and we found it one time because you know fucking rob uh stith was able to get a a a, a little bit of it for us um i'm not sure it is you know and that's the thing as a nerd i'm terrible at you know changing the volume level of my passions right so i'll often find myself when these come up and it's like man have you tried postcard i mean you can only get it in Ohio, Columbus, so right. You should drive there and get that beer. You're anyway, it's good. You're just gonna have to trust my word on it because you can't get any. But it's right. It's very tasty. Yeah. And I'll I'll talk all about Urban Artifact Brewing that they can't visit. Yeah. In that city they don't live in. Right. And then at the end of it, I'm just I know I fucked up. Yeah. But like here I am at the end of it, and it's and it's done. And, and then um, the other problem that you and I don't have, thankfully, is because we're not terribly well educated on beer. I mean, outside <laughs> of we've tried a bunch and can compare it to everyday things like donuts to tell you if it's good or not. <laughs> yes. Um. Uh, or if we like it or not, I should say. But, you know, a lot of our community members, um, you know, Janice, Mark, uh, Max from Good Brews, Bad Views, uh, 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 Ryan Bond, these people have really robust beer vocabularies. And so to and get cornered, no, and then to get, you know, to have that interaction and start using metrics and terms and vocabularies that are, you know, might as well be gibberish. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. That's a really difficult thing to navigate sometimes. Yeah. And I understand that it can pen you down. So, you know, a couple things I did. I tried not to walk around with a beer in my hand all night. Uh, sometimes that went better than others, certainly towards the end of the night. Mm-hmm. Less successful on that strategy. <laughs> um, other thing is I tried to deflect. If people asked me about the podcast or the beer, I asked them what kind of beer they liked because at least then they were talking. And it gave me some idea of like, well, okay, then let's talk about this stuff because at least I know it's in your ballpark. 
Um, the, the last thing I, 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 you, you could do, I don't know. I'm kind of floating this. If, if you're articulate and passionate, I don't lean into it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I think if people ask sometimes, and if they ask with enough of a reference to know that you know a thing they don't know and they're interested in it, um, one of the cool things I think about this is that I have been able to talk to people who are pretty limited in their beer sphere, but they want to break out, and so they have been asking for legitimate advice. I like this. What should I try next? Yeah. And so if you get the opportunity to lean into it, I definitely lean it's into it. It's an enormous spectrum. We we always, uh, you know, the curse of knowledge. You forget where you came from. Right. Um, but the the spectrum of beer, like, to, we get it for the guys at Mothers who are talking about, like, specific strains of yeast and stuff. Right. Like, where I cannot hang in any way, shape, no, or form. Yeah, yeah. It's just an enormous spectrum. I like the idea of asking that question to see where somebody's at and yeah. then trying to meet them there. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. When I was uh, when Jared and I went to Chicago for a conference a few weeks ago, and we went to Monk's Pub, which is a really great beer bar um, in Chicago, and uh, on their menu, they had like a disclaimer page that was just like, if you're going to ask if we have this beer, we don't have that beer. But if you like that beer, here are two other artisanal beers that are like that, but we think they're even better than that. You should try these. And I thought, what a really interesting way to approach huh. that. No, we don't have Blue Moon, but if you like Belgium styles, we have this and we have this. So try these things. And it's A, just a really smart upsell probably in terms of cost. Yeah, but can B, I see you menu and they dump like an accordion folded flow chart in right, front of right, me? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But B, <laughs> right, it's like an interesting way of meeting people where they are on this and then and then kind of like working the room a little bit to see where there's movement. So anyways, interesting question. Thanks so much for sending it in. On that note, we're going to grab another probably still water and we'll be right back. Spencer, what are you drinking? This is going to fucking suck. I just want to say that. <laughs> Why? From the you moment... Gotta, been nothing but three so far. From the moment I touched this beer, it has been like I dug up an Indian burial ground or something. You did sort of daintily push up the tab, and here, it exploded all over here, you. Here's what has happened. First and foremost, this is called Stillwater Super Hop, a Neotropic India Pale Ale. What in the actual fuck does that mean? <laughs> Ross? Neotropic? Yeah. I thought that was a type of drug. Right? Sure, maybe. I'll go with that. It just feels like something that a vapor waver, a vapor wavist would know. That sounds like a term from The neotropical eclipse. realm is one of the eight biogeographic realms constituting the Earth's land service. It includes tropical terrestrial ecoregions. Of whatever else Wikipedia is going to say. Nope, I don't want that. <laughs> then, so it's from hops for made from the jungle? The ne- oh, the entire South American temperate zone. Oh, there you go. Okay. So that. The pampas of Argentina. Yeah. Then I, I tried to open this thing very carefully. So for those of you who don't understand how we film, there the beer sits dangerously close to multiple pieces of expensive equipment. Computers, <laughs> recording equipment, etc. So I try not to open things hastily because you never know what's going to bubble over. I opened this thing as if it had bird bones, and <laughs> it managed to explode all over my computer and screen. I've not it even really did. I've not even consumed the thing. I had a fairly already, good laugh at it. It's already harming me. <laughs> not to mention that since I opened it, I'm sitting two feet away from it, and I can smell how hoppy it is. So here we go. It's those neotropic hops. God, they're new. They're super hops. Oh my god. <laughs> You're beyond the realm of mortal hops. You have to drink it. My jowls tend to You have to drink it. That's the bit. All right. If his face just puckers into (laughs) itself from the bitterness. That's going to be funny. He consumed it. 
<laughs> My tongue is eating itself on the back. There's a moment. Of, <laughs> there's a moment of intense happiness. Um, um, happiness soup, you love it mm-hmm. super almost yeah. uh yeah oh my god i can't it feels like my face is smiling but it's actually just contorting um <laughs> they, uh there's some good sweetness on the front when you get in there you're like oh this is going to be pretty good and then just hop cannon in right, your face get in there and then i it, like the super mario font they picked for the can i do That's too smart. yeah like old school super mario 2 mm-hmm. like like super mario 1 arcade shit Ooh, whoa yeah yep whoa. yep there and then it shows up it's like oh this isn't that bad this is oh my god where like why is it doing that yeah man the back end of a still water just right really gives up that's when they yeah, that's when they get too. after you it's not that bad though it's a two it's a yeah, two it's for a me. two yeah. yeah yeah i've had a certainly you, had worse. you made you me think it was worse hops. yeah no no no, no, no. It, it's definitely not um i'm telling you it's real sweet and light on the front You're i've like, had much oh. worse ipas than that like like in terms of hoppy bitterness, like Ugh. yeah, yeah, and yeah. now now I have like a like a hot uvula. It does sort of yeah. hang off the uvula and refuse to go down. Yeah, no, I yeah. feel like I've got a cold all of a sudden. <laughs> it's just like really grabbing on there. Um, so it, it's a crown royal. Um, hey, we're into armchair director, which is your number two vote, get, vote getter. Um, this is a question that I've been kicking around the last few days. Um, as uh, as I've been kind of thinking about what Netflix has done, you know, just like canceling series and shit. Uh, and what what effect that will have on canon, you know? Um, and so something I was thinking about, if you could go back, we often talk about things that ruined other things and good and bad and what's worst and what's best. But if you could go back and retroactively take one film out of, out of some universe's canon, right? Mm-hmm. What's the film you'd take out and why? So you could pull one film out of the universe, which is what what's the universe, what's the film, and why do you pull that thing out? I'm going to let you start. <laughs> Uh, this was a no-brainer for me. Beyond Thunderdome, that goofy-ass shit is what? gone. What? Who ruled Bartertown? Yeah, and then there's that last half of it where it's just him walking around the Eloy, naked kids, and like, oh, the captain has returned. It's just, it's just terrible. It's, the uh, the second half of that movie is so bad. Is it so bad that it ruins the the other erstwhile Mad Max universe for you? So here's the thing. We're removing it from the canon, right? Yeah. Imagine the Mad Max canon mm-hmm. without that film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. Road Warrior, mm-hmm. ostensibly a perfect movie. Perfect. Yeah. Um, you've got the first Mad Max, a heroic effort of indie filmmaking mm-hmm. at any time, um, developing an iconic character. And then you jump straight forward to Fury Road. Yeah, that's a fantastic trilogy of films, mm, man. Yeah. And mm. and then it's like divorcing Mel Gibson from the bit all the sooner, which I mean, really, oh, that's important. I, I I want Mad Max to exist like James Bond to exist, and that I want him forever losing his car around the Australian outback. Yeah. Uh, but I don't care if it's Tom Hardy or anybody. I I just want it to be a Mad Max movie. Yeah. Uh, but without the the weird ass shit of Beyond Thunderdome. That's interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah, get rid of it. That second half of that movie is so fucking bad to the point where we never mention it. Right. Like, no, we really don't. We've we've already tried to throw it out of the canon by bisecting that movie in half. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I actually think you're onto something there. When I saw this answer in the in the doc during prep, I was like, eh, okay. I mean, yeah, I don't like it very much. Uh, I guess it's never really bothered me. But I also had never then sutured the remaining left together and thought, well, yeah, but then I just get right to Fury Road. Yeah. And anything that gets me to Fury Road faster, mm. I think is probably... I, it, I, I, think it, I don't think it's like a debatable concept. I, I think it's... 
it has to go. I, like, here, here's a quick note about Fury Road, a little bit off topic. Um, I've watched it probably three or four times, like in the last six months. Mm-hmm. It's on TV a lot, and then sometimes I just watch it streaming because I really like it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I've ever sat down and made a top ten film list, but I think if I really looked over the great sea of films that I've seen, I'm not sure that Fury Road doesn't make it in. It's, it's almost perfect. A visual feast. Yes. But what do you want? Yeah. Well, and storytelling. Yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So for me, um, my original thinking here was the obvious answer is Prometheus. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then the, he did another that's one. That's right. And then he did another one. Yeah, yeah. He, he fucked you up from even doing that. That's yeah, exactly I right. think that's why I didn't do it. Because exactly I, I right. tried to watch the other one. It's like, maybe you got better again. He didn't. Nope. It's, nope. It's, oh, yeah. it's more Yeah, stupid. that is the problem. 30 yeah. minutes. 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, never mind. We're yeah. still stuck here. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, man. Um, because, yeah. because Prometheus was awful. Um, <laughs> it is not good. No, there are two films that I've stopped in the middle. What was just, the other one even called? Covenant? Covenant. Covenant, yeah. yeah. Covenant, yeah. That I've stopped bad. in the middle yeah. and gotten up and walked around my house and like pondered like, am I going to keep doing this? <laughs> and and I just said, returned to the soil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've said yes to both. One was Running Scared with Paul Walker, which you and I watched. <laughs> And it God, was remember that movie? Sojourn. My God. That was the most lurid piece of shit ever shot. It but was, I stopped that one ugh. because the the subject matter got so intense and, and graphic out of nowhere that I was like, what's going to happen? Prometheus was partially subject matter um, when she uses that machine to get rid of the alien baby. Wow, her. it took you that long. Uh, that's the thing. Uh, the other part of that was that was a point at which... That was a very graphic visual. Well, point they hadn't for, forgotten how to run sideways, <laughs> right? Where, I mean, or that they couldn't read a map that they were making. Didn't at the need time. it. They didn't know that it. came before. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I was like, it, it wasn't even that. The guy. That was a point where I could go. Okay, I actually do need to push pause on this film. Yeah. Uh, and I said, but but the problem is, um, you're right. Then then Covenant happened. And it's like, oh well, I can't just throw out one and make yeah. it all better. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have the same problem, and this is a real deep cut. I, I originally was going to say Ocean's 12, I thought, Ooh. because I love Ocean's 11 oh, and Ocean's man. 13. But then they made Ocean's 8, and Ocean's 8 is not, not good. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. It's not good. It, it should be good. It's got a great cast. Uh, it looks the same. Hmm. And I've I heard did, good reviews. Uh, no, there's no conflict. Spoiler. Okay. Nothing okay. goes wrong. All right. Which is kind of a fucking problem in an Ocean's film, where Whoa. the whole bit is the, the B-plot heist. Anyways. Um, so what did I land on? Because I had to take my two favorites off the table. I've landed on um, X3, The Last Stand. Um, Is that the one with Apocalypse? Uh, no, that's no. the Ratner that's, one yeah. where Cyclops dies off screen in the oh, first quarter. That's yeah. the first time they use the Phoenix. I'm the Juggernaut yeah. bitch. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. God, it was terrible for it, so many levels. It was yeah. terrible. No, and no, it's really bad. It was so <laughs> terrible that we... Uh, look, we give a lot of credit to the Avengers and what the MCU has been able to do because it has been beyond reason good. Um, Avengers is damn near perfect, and it did something I never thought anything could do, which is a big ensemble superhero film. But the reality is, Brian Singer was doing it like 12 years earlier in X-Men and X2. I love her like super movie revisionist. It's like, all right, everyone talks about Joss Whedon. The superhero film doesn't exist if not for the man who stopped Brett Ratner. <laughs> I mean, but that's He's like, the hero for our time. He is the guy. The unsung right? soldier that stopped Ratner's raid of there, terror. There's going to be a time story scenario <laughs> in the future where we go back and just stop Brett Ratner. Or alternatively, we stop Brian Singer from leaving the X-Men franchise. Because yeah. here's the other bit. If you pull Singer, if you put Singer on X3 or pull X3 out, maybe Singer isn't incentivized to go do Superman Returns. (laughs) 
and you're saving two worlds with one decision here. Yeah, yeah. This um, is a really go back in time, kill Hitler moment. It for, really for, is for movies. It yeah. really is because the other bit here, we we've now since talked about like you know all of the recent editions, first class, and everything they've done past that. And some of those movies are actually really good. Like I really enjoyed the new crop of X Men stuff. One of the things that makes the new crop of X-Men stuff the best, though, is that they chose to use it to get rid of X3, The Last Stand. I do think if Ratner had another X-Men movie, he may have killed the superhero genre before it began. I absolutely think there's something to that. I I, mm. uh, we, we, I don't know that as a Cause, culture... Okay, because X3, we didn't know what we were getting into, so they at least had enough sales from those opening days before everyone realized it was shit, and everyone was high off X2. If there was an X4 with Ratner... And those returns came back with superhero budget money. It would have been like Mars in Hollywood. That's like, right. It was like, oh, Mars doesn't sell. Kill it. Kill it now. Like uh, producers wouldn't have touched it. Like, That's exactly yeah. right. It it froze an industry for a hot second. Like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> but only after the wake, right? Yeah. Um, and it ruined an otherwise really, really great. If you've not watched the original X Men or X Two in a long time, I encourage you to. Those movies are excellent. Like mm-hmm. they're very fun. They're well written. Lots of good action. The casting was almost perfect, but for James Marsden, who was an atrocity. The best part of X3 is that they killed James Marsden out of that universe. Um, off screen. Off screen, yeah. <laughs> also Professor X. Right, right. You know, the one guy. For reasons. Professor X, man, guys. Um, so I think it's X3 the last stand. Have you ever noticed that the Xavier Mansion doesn't have any ramps? No. <laughs> It's my honest answer to that. <laughs> it doesn't. Now that you've said it, I've never thought about you it You just before. waited that whole segment, did you? Just to say that one thing. <laughs> I have a movie. Okay. Yeah, yeah. please. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. I mean... What? Yeah. You're wrong about Bandle this. Lick is terrible. No. Uh, yeah. Sorry. No. Those movie, that movie is good. Mm. Is the, the defense I want to make here is that those have not been bad top to bottom. Mm. I've enjoyed every one of those Star Trek films. I did not. God, the amount of time you bitched about that cyborg. (laughs) Just (laughs) fucking into the vanishing distance. It was like two minutes. No, it was was days. Maybe five minutes. I'm still there in some ways, (laughs) emotionally. The nerdiest, bitchiest conversation I've ever heard. I think what we've all learned here is that Ross is wrong. And on that (laughs) note, we're going to grab another Stillwater and we'll be back for Ask Mix 6. Um, I'm curious to know, what beer are you drinking? Uh, well, it's from Stillwater Artisanal. I don't oh, know if you've interesting. heard of them. Mm-hmm. It's the Strobe Lights, which is a double dry hopped India Pale Ale. You liked all of Does those that things. upside down text on it? <laughs> yes. Stillwater, Stillwater Artisanal is upside down on it's, it. It's upside down on a lot of their stuff. Uh-huh. Um, though, yeah, and right. But not all of it. And it sort of has like a negative frame of people wearing 3D goggles. Looks like it kind of has the effect of looking like they're about to be blasted by an atomic bomb. Ooh. Um, so like your mouth is. With hops, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Doubly so. So I'm going to give it a shot. All right. He's taking a sip. It's actually smart marketing because when you turn the can up to drink it, the Stillwater Artisanal runs the uh, direction. Okay. They're part of their PSYOPs division. Yeah. Oh. Nope, 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 nope. He doesn't, he doesn't. I'm going to make a call. I'm going to make a call. He doesn't like it. That's a a Crown Royal. That's a two. Oh, really? At least I got a bag out of it. Your face made it look like a one. I I mean, we've had Stillwater ones, and that's a a more visceral Oh, now you're doing a relative scale now. 
That seems fair. <laughs> it's an entire Stillwater episode, if not the time. <laughs> I mean, like it's the time. I like. Oh, okay, I can't talk. I like. Oh my god, I like that you think that all of these scales aren't relative. That's <laughs> that's what's fun here. Oh, that is not drinkable. Yeah, it's not great. It's not <sighs> good. And on the back, there's like a little cleaning Stillwater solution. Has something. Something bad happened to one of their brewers' back of their tongues. Like it Just, got burned in an accident where are they or something. Located? Stick to I think Maryland. Stick to the farm. There's like a phantom in the distillery or something, and he's like tortured and wants us all to feel his pain. I don't know. Wow. Stick to the farm. <coughs> they seem to do him well. Yeah. Anyways, we're into ask mixed six. Um, Chris Keener's got a question for us. Hi, Chris. Um, what do you think the ethics are of voting for yourself? Picture this. You're in a friendly competition in your office or other social setting where everyone gets an anonymous vote on the winner. If it isn't explicitly stated that you can't vote for yourself, should you, even if you realize you might not have the best entry? You want to maximize your chance of winning, but it is a friendly competition. Does your answer change if prizes are involved? Uh, yeah, no. Ross's response to that beer is probably the right one. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, he looks like he's mad and yeah. or sad. Yeah. Both. Yeah. yeah, that might be a one for me. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a one for yeah, me. Yeah, but it's a two for Caleb, so for, right. for the rating rating scale, Q. Um, Let the record state. Yeah, <laughs> so this happens a lot. So, um, for example, Springfield is a uh, fairly um, uh, small community, so big to, town. To clear, the ethics of voting for yourself when not for political office. That, yeah, 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 for sure, 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 sure. Um, so Springfield has uh, like an event and award scene. Like there's a lot of awards that Springfield gives out like mm-hmm. all the time. Like, for example, right now. The Springfield Business Journal is doing the 40 Under 40 Award, where they, you know, name like 40 business leaders or community members. Um, Are you in the running? I am. But I didn't nominate myself, even though you can. Self-nominations are encouraged and accepted. And I thought, well, I could nominate myself. Uh, But I didn't nominate myself because... There's something, there, there are two things that happen inside me. One is reasonable and one is unreasonable when I see that opportunity. The reasonable one is to think there are probably out there who, there, there are people out there who deserve it more. That's the reasonable thing. The unreasonable thing is this weird like, eh, I want someone to nominate me if I'm going to win it because I want it to mean something that I didn't nominate myself. Well, that's fucking stupid because um, maybe in more friendly environments, this doesn't play very well, but in environments where those things matter, right, wrong, or indifferent, that you can put on a resume 40 under 40 or 10 for the next 10 or person of the year, whatever, pick a thing, Mm -hmm. small business person of the year. In in a world where those have some value, um, I I think that you need to be smart and you need to be a little selfish and you need to nominate yourself for those things. He said not doing it for himself. Um, Fun things around the office? Yeah, I probably wouldn't do it just just because I don't know that I care enough. And I, maybe I should. I don't know. Oh, man. Ethics. I'm real psyched about this. It depends on the voting system. Oh my God. It depends on the prize. Here we go. It depends on the responsibility inherent in the prize. There's so many contextual cues. I'm, I'm so excited. Just jump in there. <clears throat> so a politician should vote for themselves in that they should recognize themselves as the best person for the job. The basic social contract of voting is that you want the best person for the job possible and therefore you have a social responsibility to vote for yourself. Correct. Prices can do that as well. So perhaps the prize is going on a trip to represent your company. You should pick the person who should represent it best. Even if that Um, means you? Yes, even if that means you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recognition. You should do the person who deserves the most recognition. Maybe it's you at that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if someone's going to argue, well, you can't say it's you because then there's a matter of personal bias. It's like, well, then you can't have me vote. 
because right. personal bias is literally, you know, the concept of voting. That's you know, how like this you're all works. expressing your bias yeah. towards one decision or the other. Yeah. So uh, I think if it's like recognition, you have the responsibility to vote the person who deserves it the most. Um, and then if it's like some sort of representation or some sort of task, you should vote for the person that should do the best job, mm-hmm. even and especially if that is you. Mm-hmm. Um, regarding prizes, uh, that's the sort of thing. So I sort of had this come up with the innies. Right. You better believe I best voted for myself. Oh, yeah. I voted for myself as often as possible. Absolutely. you know, that's how the innies does it. How many IP addresses can you find? Um, but here's the thing. That was a ranked voting system. So I definitely voted for myself, and then I voted for Delta Green, which I, I didn't feel bad. And they're going to stomp the shit out of me, and they deserve to. Right. Uh, but yeah, there there's an element in there where it's like, if it's going to be a popularity contest, why don't you be popular towards yourself? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think in most cases, you're justified to to vote for something. Now, in instances where it's like sort of arbitrary, it's not about deserving something i think it's in your communal best interest to not vote for yourself if it's no element of recognition there's no element of financial gain for it if it's not a ranked choice voting system because i realize that every time i vote for myself i didn't steal a vote for delta green Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i still put delta green up you know quite a bit and i'm sure many people listen to this podcast did as well because they're all wonderful and they voted for me too um and frankly, in in a world uh, in a world in which you know certain people exist, I, I would have wished my game to win, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, if there's just if it's not any stakes in it, or any stakes that you can recognize, or if the stakes are arbitrary, right, and it has nothing to do with any work you've done previously, or it's just a surplus we need to assign. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's in your communal best interest as an ethicist not to vote for yourself. Yeah, I think that's that's a reasoned response. To be clear, just because I said I wouldn't do it if it was like an in-office thing that didn't matter, doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that that's how I would come down on the side of things. I think probably if I really spent enough time unpacking all of it, <laughs> Caleb's still digging on those strobe lights. You, you talk for a while, and then you get thirsty, and then you drink the beer at hand, and then right. you're just like, oh, it's that one. Uh, yeah. Wish it's I wasn't thirsty. Beer. Yeah. Um, if I unpacked it long enough, I would think probably for the reasons Caleb mentioned. So, Chris, if you're worried because you don't know if you should vote for yourself, more often than not, I would say vote for yourself uh, and don't Chris, feel bad about you it. you vote for yourself. You're great. Yeah. Fucking you're, do you're it, Chris. Awesome. Just go we get it, Chris. You. you deserve it. Actually, you know what, Chris? If you lose by one vote and you didn't vote for yourself, that's on you, man. Mm-hmm. That's on you right now. You have to sleep with that. Go vote for yourself. We're <laughs> going to get more beer. Spencer, what are you drinking? So very fitting that the one random grab that was not a Stillwater came to us from Omnipolo, uh, infamous for Schploing, uh, which is to this day still one of the weirdest beers I've ever tried. <laughs> and then they made Shoutow, which um, Ross Googled. Shoutow. Sure, yeah, definitely that. <laughs> it's it's based on a Chinese bun. It's a Chinese longevity peach, which is a bun shaped like a peach. Or Doesn't the, actually contain peaches. Or the word for mitten. <laughs> or that um the can kind of does it taste like peaches buns or mittens or mittens let's see i don't know in mandarin it means mitten <laughs> the the can kind of looks like the thing from princess mononoke um that gets killed in the beginning the rage <laughs> demon so anyways this beer is a peach slush ipa you don't want slush with your beer no uh, an i india, think you do an india pale ale brewed with peach and lactose sugar and it's seven percent. 
Are you intolerant of that? I expect this <laughs> to be bad. All right. Maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be the best beer you've ever had in your life. He is drinking it. Yep. I mean, he hasn't wincing so far. So, I mean, uh, yeah. 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 that's kind of good. <laughs> really? Right. It's interestingly good. Let me get in there. Um, There's nothing about the cans. What integer good. is it good? Though? I, I think it's probably a Joseph Magnus. I think that's probably a three. I, I expected much worse. Oh, yeah. That's nothing. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's not offensive at all. No. Oh, okay. No. I. You want to try? Yeah, yeah. I. I thought it would be horrid. Do you like peaches normally? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. Um, I don't. I, I don't care for peaches normally, and that's that's still a three for me. Well, yeah, I should modify. I don't eat peaches outright very often, but I'm happy when peaches in things. Um, certainly doesn't. But but me. I am actually like hard. Yeah, it, I'm okay. actually hard for buns, so maybe that evens out. <laughs> How do you feel about and mittens? I'm, I'm middling on mitch- mittens. Yeah, so. sounds right. Um, hey, it's the mix six mock draft, and this was your number one vote getter, and it does feel like it's been a while. So yeah. maybe it was just a time thing. Yes. Um, and Charlie F had uh, had proposed a subtopic that just works so well here, so we've gone with it. Who would be your Cheers esque cast of drinking buddies pulled from either video game characters or fictional protagonists? We're going with fictional protagonists. Yeah, we could we could redo this with video. Charlie, game Charlie, you don't know how many fucking Cheers episodes I watch on the daily, son. I'm ready for this. This one was tough for me because I got to be honest with you. It. Like, I do not have much of a Cheers vocabulary. Oh man, I've seen the season. Like the series run multiple times. Really? At this point. Yeah. God, I learned something. You're just you're an onion, Caleb. There's a lot of layers there. Um, okay, so here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're going to assign fictional characters for the roles that the archetype we might say of Sam, Diane, Carla, Norm, Cliff, and Woody, pulling from fictional characters. And since you're the Cheers aficionado here, and it's apparent that none of us have pulled from the same character verses, I don't think we need to worry about ordering as much here. I'm gonna let you go first. Uh, see, when you said fictional protagonists in the show doc, I thought you meant, you know, protagonists from fiction. Right. And and so what I've done is I've pulled protagonists from fiction. Right. Yeah, from TV shows and movies. And books. Uh, and some books. Fiction is a big word there, Caleb. Okay, well, I would think as an English teacher, you would understand just that phil- the term fiction the could apply on broadly. The other mic. All right. You know, interestingly, as someone who's also not terrible with language, if it were just literary characters, I might have said literary characters. Just, oh, God. Spe- specificity yeah. is a, a specialty of mine. Well, let's bring in the jurists to this podcast because we apparently need to, I don't to think parse we, I, the language. We don't need to because we brought in the, the English. And so anyways... <laughs> Um, your terribly narrow, literary-only cast of Cheers characters, starting with Sam. Uh, my deepest cut is going to be Sam. Yeah. And I want Hog Durham from the Dixie Association by Donald Hayes. That is a deep cut. Uh, he is a... Don, Donald Hayes was a writer at the Fayetteville uh, MFA program from Creative Writing. Uh, he wrote a novel called The Dixie Association, uh, which is narrated by Hog Durham, a ex-con first baseman. Uh, that is about a team of baseball, minor league baseball players in the South, uh, coached by Lefty Marks, a one-armed former pitcher uh, that includes a member of actual Castro Cubans and a number of people. And it's about uh, it's about a bunch of weird Southern socialists that find uh, you know solace in the game of baseball in turbulent times of the Americans in the Southern Americans in the seventies. And it's a great book. Uh, so you need sort of a mournful character for Sam. Cause you know, Sam is hmm. a ex professional baseball player who lost his ability to play the game. He loves due to his alcoholism 
and as sort of like this bizarre samurai-esque punishment, decides to open a bar and then never drink again. He decides to re-surround himself with his own temptation and then refuse it to himself in this sort of Tantalus-esque Greek hell of his own to making. Like, you need a literary character for Sam. All the womanizing and sitcom-esque case aside, that's a fucked up thing to do to yourself if you're a recovering alcoholic. I read this in a slightly less depressing vein, <laughs> if I'm being totally honest, uh, as I think most people have when they watch Sam on Cheers. Um, you know, for me, I would argue they haven't truly watched Sam. Yeah, maybe <laughs> on you, Cheers. You might be onto something there. Um, uh, maybe that just the two of you just meant something different when you said watch. Maybe that's the <laughs> issue. Um, uh, I went, I went, I, I tried to find a fictional character, literary or otherwise, who um was not able to live up to the the dreams of the past, was constantly fighting past demons. I was with you on this. But in the center of that became a beacon of hope for others around them, someone that other people wanted to be around because of their redemption and their passion and their drive. And they were genuinely off-putting to people who wanted to be pessimistic, narcissists, etc. That They brought a cast of characters with them. And so for Sam, I have chosen maybe... Keanu Reeves' greatest character of all time, Shane Falco from The Replacements. A downtrodden former quarterback who cannot make his dreams come true until the NFL players go on strike, and a wily Gene Hackman yells him into mental and physical shape such that he can lead that team to victory. And that's really what you want in a Sam. I, guess, want... I got set up here. Yeah, totally. I, well, got, I, got, I got fucking set up here. I'm, I'm all in I high like literature right, right here. And you're all like throwing like fucking early two thousands Keanu Reeves. It's caviar to the general, man. This is this is wow. A, ah, you wow. Son of a bitch. I see what you did, man. I see what you did here. Who's the who's the bougie now? Uh, um. All right, let's uh let's jump around a little bit. Let's go, Woody. Woody. Yeah. Uh, this one isn't close to me. I want Porthos from Three Musketeers. It's a good pull. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> drunk, right. enthusiastic. Yeah. Like, always there, always willing to chip in, Porthos. Not for, close. The thing that I was looking for here is the, uh, like, pretty happy-go-lucky, uh, pretty happy to get drunk, but also pretty inept at figuring out what's actually going on around Oh, Porthos them. doesn't know what's happening. Right. Okay, but also serves as a bouncer, which is a double thing you right. need in a bar. Right. Also going to diversify your sales, because he's only drinking wine, and he's only recommending people drink wine. Well, but you're still a beer bar. your sales. Yeah, yeah, now you're selling wine and beer, which is pretty great, yeah. We're going to talk about sales strategy later. Um, <laughs> so I've gone instead with uh, perhaps Kurt Russell's greatest character of all time, Jack Burton. Um, always down for a good time, thinks he's a bouncer at a minimum and will try to be probably. He's got a knife in his boot, but also totally incapable of picking up on any context going on around him. So very capable of making things uncomfortable, which is some of the best Woody stuff from what I remember. I'm from not Cheers. sure Jack Burton shows up to work that often. Well, it's well, okay. First off, he seems easily distracted. Are you kidding me? The check is in the mail. If that is not a representative anecdote for I'm doing my job to pay the bills, then I don't know what is. And if you're worried about him drinking too much, you picked Porthos. So I think at a minimum, we're probably a I'm not worried there. about him drinking too much. Yeah, okay. I just think he's going to get distracted and rigor immoral. Uh, moving up the list, uh, Cliff Clavin. Uh, so for me, I'm going to go with Ignatius J. Riley from Confederacy of Dunsins mm -hmm. by John Kennedy O'Toole. Mm -hmm. Because um, you need someone to espouse a fucking psychotic, insane conspiracy theory 
that he absolutely believes to be true. Uh, and that that's Ignatius. Mm. You need Cliff's like weird insights on life and sort of sense of profundity that is unearned and comically misplaced. And that is basically the entire bit of Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to go with Ignatius. Yeah. I, I think I agree with all of your reasoning there, uh, but I've, I've chosen a wildly different representative of that. Egon Spangler from the Ghostbusters. Um, who is a know-it-all, but in all of the like right ways, in 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 some measure of being good at being. He a did actually prove the afterlife exists, though. So that's well, there's that's some knowing a lot. There's some like yeah, there's some depth. To I think it. Dan Aykroyd's character would be a better fit here. Well, but the problem with Aykroyd is that um uh Ray, the, I yeah his yeah last Ray stance uh there there are actual moments in the Ghostbusters verse where Egon Spangler jumps in with a well, actually, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or leans over to explain why something is the way that it shouldn't be, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It, with, with enough um, disregard for whether or not that's appropriate. Like the beginning of Ghostbusters 2 where they take the puppies away. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and he's just totally, <laughs> look, we're here to figure this, th- the, 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 figure this thing out. Um, Dan Aykroyd doesn't have as much of that. There's that scene in Ghostbusters 2 with Ray's occult books where he's like being a little bit like hortatory here. Let me tell you about this. But for the most part, Egon is the well actually guy of the Ghostbusters universe. Um, and so it made more sense to me. Um, right. Norm. Oh, going for Norm, the big one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go. Do you want, with, wait, do you want to switch it up before? No, no, I'm, okay. I'm fine. I'm gonna go with uh, Falstaff from Henry. The, I mean, any of Shakespeare's plays. Henry, definitely Falstaff. Falstaff is what Norm was based off of. He is the despairing alcoholic that never lets him get him too down, and it's still a great time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you need sort of this, you know, fat, buffoonish yet intensely self-aware character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's Norm, and that's Falstaff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, different cut here. I uh, literary. Um, Kilgore Trout, uh, also a very good pick. Yeah, gotta um, give that to you. I feel like Kilgore would have good jokes about his own insane bar tab. Right. Like, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, like very self-aware of what what he's performing uh, in the universe, uh, but also not self-aware enough to not be annoying about it sometimes. Beer again? What yeah, stop I? drinking that beer. Um, Carla. Uh, so for Carla, I went with Louise Mallard from Story of an Hour by Kay Chopin. If she didn't die of a heart attack at the end of the story. That seems important. Uh, so her husband dies. She's so psyched to be freed from this world of uh, horrible stuffiness. Carla, famously divorced. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, but husband comes back, tragically not dead. She dies of a heart attack, having tasted freedom for the first time and uh, not be, no longer being able to escape to it. Uh, what if she what if she didn't die of a heart attack? What if she had a little bit stronger heart? Then bam, I think you get Carla. Yeah. Uh, like released from the the chains of womanhood by death. Mm-hmm. Like I think you get a woman who's down to earth as witty and just in it for herself as Carla. Sure. Yeah. Uh was very interested in the disdain for people, but there's still something in there which is wanting to make a good decision, wanting to be a good person. And the only thing I could think of was April Ludgate from Parks and Recreation. Yeah, April Ludgate is the modern car. That's basically. exactly right. It's if, working off that same archetype. That's exactly right. She Rec. she is the most recent and probably best manifestation of that trope that I have seen in, in, in recent memory. Uh, last one, Diane. Honestly, the one that I thought was hardest. Mm. See, here's the thing. What I learned in doing this is that I really just don't want Kate Chopin characters to die. Right. Uh, so I'm going to go with Edna Poitier from The Awakening, also by Kate Chopin, if she didn't walk into the sea and drown herself. So, again, uh, freed of the sort of constraints of womanhood. Mm-hmm. And Diane is nothing if not woke. 
Uh, but Edna spent a whole novel becoming woke mm-hmm. rather than a short story in story of an hour. Um, and, you know, she's going to not give that up for anyone. Even when she goes working in a bar, that it's this sort of oppressive patriarchal construction. She's going to rage against the machine mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah. And that's Diane. Yeah. Like, Diane's going to take shit off you. Right. She, she done got out. And, you know, she's going to have some solidarity with Carla. Sure. They're not, they're not going to come from exactly the same place because, you know, that's part of the, the yeah. The that's bit, part though. of the bit, but right. they, they're together against this. Yeah, I, I think Edna and Carla, uh, not Carla, Edna and Luis are going to get along well. Um, sidebar: uh, less than a year or more than a year. How much time do you think woke has left in our cultural vocabulary? Ooh, maybe six months. Okay, so less than a year. Yeah, I think I'd take the over, but only at some point it's going to be ironic, and then I don't think it counts anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it might already be. Uh, Diane for me, hardest one. Um, because I wanted, it's easy to find like strong female protagonist, um, in, in my vocabulary, I guess I can come up with a bunch of people to name there. The question was like, who overreached a little bit there, uh, purposefully Hermione Granger. I mean, you know, some of the, uh, certainly early Hermione Granger who can't figure out that being smart isn't just reciting things from books that you've read, but that really being smart is the ability to figure stuff out and persevere. That to me is kind of like the central trope of Diane, like the, the, the growing to become someone who doesn't just fall back on what is comfortable, what is wrote, what is memorized, but starts to lean into the fact that some of this is chaos and then deals with it in, mm-hmm. in kind of interesting ways. Uh, I think that's the Hermione Granger story arc, top to bottom. Yeah. And that's what makes her interesting. One of the things that makes her interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Don't forget, you can always vote hashtag Team Spencer, hashtag Team Caleb in our Mix 6 Mock Draft. And on that note, we have one beer left. We know it's going to be a Stillwater. We know it's probably going to be a three or less. We're going to go get it, and we'll be back for Drunk Enough. The last one, but hopefully the best one, is... It is Stillwater Artisanal's Recess, which is a dry-hopped sour ale... With raspberries. I love all of those words. This should win. The can's also very good looking. It's very, very vapor wavy. Uh, yeah. It's got it, a nice it, geometric design. It looks design. Like, a, like a fucking early Windows 98 like mm. screensaver. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I'm pretty psyched. But, or Marvel you know, Madness level. Let's see how yeah. it goes. Remember yeah. Marvel Madness? Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. This, this beer should win. This should be more than a three. Yeah. Oh, he likes that. He's going yep. back for more, but it's an interested going back for more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is. The eyes were going up. Yeah. Pretty delicious. Go on. I got any a third. Damn. I don't know that we've ever had a three tasting. This this might be Maybe. I don't know. We've done a lot of twos. Look, I I I hate to say it, because like you want to break the mold, right? You don't you want to be different to end the show, right? There's all this societal pressure to go this way. Right. Yeah. Fight the man. Fight the power. I think it's a five. I think that's a second glance. Okay, everybody stop. Yeah, okay. You're with me until I say it, but it is a intensely Everybody. Great sour. Everybody, everybody. Caleb Stokes, Iconoclast. Utilizes raspberry super well, sharp and effervescent off the tongue. See, this is this is the climax of the uh, the, the very movie. sweet. Yeah. There's a there's a complex aftertaste, but it never gets medicine-y or weird. It is very. I drink a shit ton of those. That's a five. Yeah, that's a five. Right, objectively, objectively a five. Objectively, a delicious beer. Yeah, this Rose. is like yeah. Uh, I think that, I think we have to make speech. it official at this point. Yeah. yeah. It's no longer the Stillwater rule. 
It's the bond burner rule. Wow, because bond burner was bad. Y'all. You want to? You want to? You want to change it? I don't know. I feel like if we're going to, it needs to be episode fifty. And frankly, wow, yeah, yeah. Frankly, they've gotten up to like D C levels at this point. With when we talk about averages, the averages, they're yeah. passing the class. You might now. be right. Um, maybe our criticism helped them. Yes. Do we want to? Do we want to put this to an official mix six vote? Are we going to change the Stillwater rule? Yeah, we're going to throw the, Yeah, we're going to have to throw this up on the. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, this is a democracy. We can't decide this much. Yeah. So (laughs) question for the mind. Uh, Count all the ballots. Should we, yes or no, change the Stillwater rule to the bond burner rule? Um, And if you don't believe we should, go out and find a bond burner. Right. And drink it. Um, Then you will be convinced. We'll take your responses in the comments on Patreon, Facebook, and uh, and Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, Please, please let us know your thoughts. And in the meantime, here we are. It's our last beer. It's our last segment. We're into drunk enough. Caleb, your topic. Roll us in. Um, so I have a what I've learned through years of interacting with people in various contexts, a hateable face. Uh, the first impression I make off people is is repugnant. Like like most of my friendships, I feel like I treasure them precisely because I had to work so hard to get from where I start. Because mm-hmm. I am I easily loathed man. I whatever the male equivalent of resting bitch face is, I think I have it. <laughs> and I think it's terminal. Like I don't think it's curable at this point. Like uh-huh. you're not going to disagree. You're laughing, right? Cuz like I'm laughing at all the things you're saying, but also I have seen your I'm trying not to be disgusted, but I'm a little disgusted face. And it's obviously disgusted, it's right? It's obviously disgusted. Like and I, I was really kind of analyzing this, and I've analyzed this over the years. Like, I think where I'm at now is that I think I had so little interaction with humans as a child, mm-hmm. uh, and so many interactions with humanity through books and movies and television, whereas it's not actual humans. Um, most of my, I think I learned to lie from movies and like fiction, mm-hmm. at which point the point in a lie is to be ironically conveying that the person is not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm just made of tells. Like, I'm just made of tells entirely. To the point where I'm so made of tells that people assume I'm lying when I'm telling the absolute truth, Mm -hmm. just because... If they've had an interaction with me, they just, just, you know, naturally Mm -hmm. loathe me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I really think I'd be further in life if I had a poker face. If I had any ability to hide what I was feeling on my face and my body... And I don't like, and here's the thing. I don't feel like I don't have grit. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I don't have determination. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if you ask anybody like who's going to work through the pain, who's going to be there, I- I'll be there. Mm-hmm. Like, I-, I don't, I don't think I, I lack, uh, you know, um, executive function. Fortitude. I think I can get started. I, I don't think I like fortitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have a surplus of, you know, earnestness and enthusiasm and for things I like mm-hmm. and honesty and, you know, clarity of what's going on. But I have no ability to hide that if something is stupid, it's stupid. Mm -hmm. If this is dumb and Mm -hmm. pointless, it's dumb and pointless. Mm -hmm. If I'm uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. I I have no, I will be there. Mm -hmm. I will be there with bells on. I'll be there early to be uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. sad about it. Mm -hmm. But I will be uncomfortable and sad about it. And something about my body is going to tell absolutely everyone in the room in such a way that I am universally loathed by most people in that room, except for like the one or two people I have like any kind of relation with. And they're like, okay, right. They're middling. Like, eh, they're yeah. I yeah. mean, I take, 
So I take some issue with the universally loathed bit. <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't know you to be universally loathed. I, I don't know people that don't like you. Most people who like me initially have never seen me. Well, and they like me via my voice. There may be, well, which is saying something. I'm, I was going to say, take it from someone. My who voice has, or my writing, right. or someone that's never had personal interactions right. with me. I've listened to this podcast once. And two of us at this table probably are not liked because of our voices. <laughs> and the other one is Ross. So I feel like Hey, that's Trust Payton here with the Mix 6 Podcast. Probably. How y'all doing tonight? Yeah. Uh, that's prob- Three of us are not liked right. because of our Yeah. <laughs> I disagree. Uh, the, now, the writing thing I think you're on to, probably. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I take issue with the universally loathed. I, I mean, I think you're more critical of yourself about that stuff than, than other people are. But I don't take issue with the fact that you don't have much of a poker face. Like, Caleb Stokes yeah, is Yeah, would you, you take me with you on a sales call? No. No, you no, wouldn't. No. No, well, no, probably not. Uh, because um, I, I find it difficult for myself sometimes on a, in, a, in a discovery meeting or a sales meeting um, when someone says something outrageous in either direction, right? Like how much money they do have or how much money they don't have. I have to tell myself, like, don't move your eyes and your nose and your mouth and everything else on your face. Just sit here and act like it's totally normal what they've See, just I said. tell myself that, and it somehow makes it worse. Right. It's like as shouted it across the room. Yeah, like, yeah. No, I've definitely seen you, especially, like, as we have, um, like, for example, when we were touring Party Foul around, now on Backer Kit, um, as you would explain the game, and then, you know, we'd come around three or four turns, and someone would ask a question that was like, oh, you mean the thing I explained four times? I've definitely seen your face, which is just an inability to process why you're having to talk about that <laughs> thing anymore. I've also seen you... He's sneezing. Sorry, it's the shutout. Um, <laughs> I've also seen you in uncomfortable situations. Uh, but but to your point about tells, um, your response to uncomfortability is often to call out uncomfortability and then to satirize it, which I think is typically pretty funny anyways. Um, so well, I have to. Right. Because yeah, well, yeah. to leave it hanging with whatever my face or body told oh, everyone you in the room yeah. that I can't read right. in anybody else. Right. Uh, I, I can't do that. Like, you have to just own it. Like I don't think you'd be... F- farther along and i'm really i'm not crazy about that distance metaphor i don't think you'd be farther along in your career i think i'd be a better teacher i don't think you'd be a better caleb look you you went through a what we would call a transitional period in your teaching career from one school to a different school with some bumps in between i don't think that any of that was about your inability to hide what you were technically homeless some some would but i don't i don't think the what we would refer to as the precipitating event there was about your ability to not smile know. or smile appropriately. It was about your your um, inability is not the right word because it suggests it's a negative term, but it's not. You were going to say what you thought was right and truthful there, and that doesn't matter about what showed up on your face, I don't think. Look, here, here's where I get existentially freaked out about this, right. okay? I feel fairly certain yeah. that I would be uh, better off right. in, in numerous aspects, you know, I, I know it's weird to say that generally, but like economically, professionally, um, you know, socially, right. If I had a better poker face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, it becomes like, how do you develop that? Right. Yeah. Now that one's tough. Is there training schools? Like, yes. how do you do that? And then, and then before I get to the, how do you develop that? Then I get to like, what does it say about the world that I'd be way better off if I was better at lying with my very mm. body? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what if my body and face and expression and physical being in the world was a better lie? Mm-hmm. And, like, that's where you just sink from, like, 
man, I wish I had a better poker face to just despair. Mm. And I don't, I don't know where to go from there. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, like there's no class I can take. Like there's no, you know, Texas Hold'em book about like, have a better, fo- like, it'll be like, have a better poker face. And then no expects how to do that. Like, and I just, I just, I just don't have the capability of like training for it. And then the fact, like, if I did have like a regime that I could do to be better at that kind of stuff, should I? Right. Like, I definitely think there is a little value in it sometimes. And I think there are things you can do to be better at it. So, like, one of the things I've had to get when I was teaching, I didn't have to worry about this uh, as much. Uh, but then I started sitting in um, sales meetings for things and I had to stop responding to the sales bit uh, in those meetings because you have to just kind of, okay, well, this, you know, take it as it comes and move on. Um, one of the things that I started doing is I started taking all of the numbers like out of, out of my brain and that helped a lot. So I was dealing with this guy um, who was like routinely talking to me about like, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, we're going to do this deal. It's $20 million, blah, blah, blah. And he's just sitting there saying this, like you and I are saying like, yeah, I bet Jared five bucks on the chiefs game last weekend. So finally I just asked him, I was like, why, what do you tell yourself to be able to sit at a table and just kick around spending $20 million on things and not thinking about it? And he goes, yeah, at some point, it doesn't really matter what the number is. They're all just pieces on the board, and you're just moving them around. And the moment you take all of the impact of $20 million out of things, he's like, then you're just saying words, and you're saying words to, to, to move the conversation. He's like, now on the back end, I'm gonna have to deal with that stuff, and and uh, the only That's reason fucked up, right? And he's like, <laughs> the only reason I can deal with it like that is because I know I can deal with that stuff. But once you've made a decision that you're in the game, then it's just moving the pieces around. And so I do think there are ways to get better at it. That's actually been really freeing for me. You know, Jared and I don't sit in a lot of twenty million dollar sales conversations, but even large contract negotiations or like big pitches. Um, you know, when we flew to New York last year to pitch that uh, baseball agency. I had to, before I walked into that room, tell myself it doesn't matter that there are signed baseballs and Hall of Fame balls and jerseys and gold gloves on the wall and that these people routinely deal in $100 million contracts. I'm just going to go in and talk about stuff that I know about and we're going to net out where we net out and don't think about all that stuff. So those things, yes, I think there is a way to train yourself to practice enough to do it over and over again enough to become numb to some of that stuff. And some of that stuff is the stimulus which causes the like, you know, wow, wow, like eyes out of the head bit. Yeah. Um, Now, the the other stuff, no. I mean, the other stuff's a little, that's just just who you are. And I think that's okay. I mean, I I think that's largely okay is is the bit here. I mean, you clearly don't. Um, But but I'm good with it. No one's inviting me to go to a $20 million baseball Right, right. Yeah. Um, And like, I'd like to think that's because my certain way of being has worth. Mm -hmm. um, But, but I don't know what that worth is. Mm, I think you do. I mean, you've written a very successful RPG. Yeah, I think it definitely, I think it definitely shows up on the page. Right. Like, um, I, I think that's there. But like, at the same time. Like you're sort of caught between this sort of metric when you're found wanting in the poker face, right? Uh, when you're found wanting in the ability to feign, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's sort of this. It's like either I'm a bigger asshole than everyone else because mm-hmm. part of this poker face thing is acknowledging that we all have our foibles mm-hmm. and moving past it, and it's a noble thing. Mm-hmm. And I am just inherently incurably, mm-hmm. naturally down to my DNA, mm-hmm. a bigger dickhead than other people I see. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or, manners is the ability to lie more convincingly in a more socially acceptable way. And I'm not psyched about either of those. <laughs> like, I'm either, like, naturally, inherently a dickhead, or manners is at mm-hmm. its core 
these lies we've all agreed upon to not look too formally into. Like, how was your day? I don't care how your day was. No one does. You say it because it's a form of grieving. If you tell me how your day was in a long-winded story, I am then going to have to pretend to be interested in how your day was when, in fact, I was just passing yeah. you in the hall. Yeah. Like, either it's manners is just this elaborate rule of like, well, we're going to tell these lies to each other and not look into it deeply. Or you're just not as good at this thing that makes people good people as other things. And I mean, that just is like, I think, I think at the extremes, that is not an unreasonable reading of those two things. I think there's a lot of gray area in there. Though. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Yeah, and I think that's where, um, one thing you're describing there is, uh, like a criticism of decorum. And one thing you're describing there is like whether or not you care. And I think a poker face is is uh, essential to decorum. No, yeah, 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 I do too. But I don't think that that means that you're playing some larger social fiction that is like otherwise unhealthy. I think sometimes it's a it's a question of being polite. I think sometimes it's a question of grace when someone has done something mistakenly or accidentally and they didn't mean to. And now a poker face is really a, a poker face, you know, air quotes there. Whatever whatever the the normative action is there to to move on. What you're doing there is trying not to make it more uncomfortable. You're trying to not uh, heap on discomfort or, and or. I don't think I lack grace. No, even. I no, like, I don't. Like I, I think you're kind of mis like to use your example. I think you're kind of misconstruing the the purpose of the how are you doing? Uh, how is your morning? Kind of thing. I think it's to uh, that in particular. I think is to establish an initial rapport. To the you know conversation is a back and forth game like tennis mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. And you have to develop that kind of rhythm before you can move on to other topics. It, and it varies by culture. I mean, in Germany, you wouldn't even say that. Like you would mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. like like it varies from culture to culture. So I think I, I, I agree. I agree. Right. So but, so I here's. Think. There's this violation. It's not a lie. I know, but there's this violation of decor when someone goes too far in the paint too soon. Right? Well, then they failed in their role. You, it, you're playing exactly, your part. exactly. My face fails the decor check. <laughs> My face is the person who shares too much with the "How was your day going?" and I can't fucking turn that okay. shit off. Well, then like, that's not that's a question of up. lying. Like, it's, it's because you, yeah, you can't. No, it is. It, it's not a question of lying. It, okay. it's a, it is a question of lying because like, if that's how my face is, like, how closer do I get to like natural, authentic expression than that? You, it's just you have problems developing that rapport, that rhythm yeah. with other people. And I'm, I'm just saying, like, that, it's that's not, it. It's, it's a sol- I think that's a solvable problem. I think that's. <laughs> I also, uh, I, I want to interrupt the uh, my face is a one to rep- one to one representation of how I'm feeling because your the other half of that equation there is how your face gets interpreted, and that's the other bit here too. Um, well, here's the thing: I often don't have the emotions that are right ascribed to my face right. in any way shape or form right but at that point that's th- the trick no but at that point you're in the existential nightmare right because you're like well did i really have that expression and you noticed it but i did not notice it in myself because my own consciousness is right. mutable or did i legitimately not have that expression and you read something weird psychologically into right. me which it becomes very easy in the one-off to say like no that's your issue not mine yeah but in the aggregate, right. when it becomes a, a through line, yeah. when it becomes a like, yeah, I wouldn't take cable to a sales meeting, right. and you'd be right not to. Right. When it becomes that, then it's like, well, is that everybody's issue but mine? And yeah. that seems yeah. like 
Occam's razor not likely. Right. Like, you know right. what I mean? Yeah, this is why you just need to travel with a, a, a set of mirrors that you can set up positioned <laughs> around you. So as you respond to things, they can be behind people. Yeah. So you can see, am I doing face right? Mm-hmm. As, yeah. as people tell you things, yeah. I'm to be happy now. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I um, think it's just learning etiquette. I mean, it's it, and right. there's nothing wrong. Everybody has deficiencies in their background. Right. Um, and it's just, I think there are ways to learn that. It's a teachable thing. Right. And I think it's, it's not a, a matter of art artificiality or being true to yourself or whatever because it varies from culture to culture yeah and, uh, and it's person just, to person and person to person but like it's just you know learning to get along with other people in a way that doesn't cause you to have anxiety mm-hmm. and that's a that's something you do have to learn right so. or, or or find places where you don't have to learn it yeah, yeah. um um yeah i don't know i'd be interested to hear um uh from other people if they i don't know if anyone else struggles with this right or if this is you know Everyone, but this wouldn't be the first. The vast majority of humans do. Yeah, I would. I would think in so. In some context, in some form or fashion, yeah. I mean, in certain settings, like we're talking like business environments, but like you go to like a wedding where you don't know many people, or right. like other or religious ceremonies, or like yeah. any number I, of I, events, I, I, or, I, I, or a courtroom. Weddings. I've been like to imagine the courtroom at He's great. Yeah. I'm not- He's great at weddings. Yeah, yeah. He is not. He is not there to fuck around. Everyone has problems with social meetings or gatherings that they're not familiar with or comfortable with. I'm just saying it's very difficult to take what is universally ascribed to being an unconscious skill mm-hmm. it's well to make it that's conscious. that's that's because that's wrong it is a conscious skill you have to learn well i know and i, I yeah. that sucks that that's a you know Myth. mischaracterization that everyone yeah, yeah. follows but it's still a mischaracterization that everyone follows and yeah. you're yeah, still yeah. held accountable to yeah. yeah like bootstraps and you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, the just world fallacy so. um so TLDR, Caleb fails a face check, and uh, it is uh, it is it is about where you thought it would be. <laughs> hey, if you've been listening to this, thank you so much for your support, your time, your energy, your effort, talking about us positively, hopefully positively, to your friends and family. It means the world to us. Something came up the other day that we thought worth mentioning. Uh, talk to somebody who listens to a lot of our content on iTunes and didn't know that we had paid content behind uh, a gate uh, where there's a bunch more Mix 6 stuff to listen Oodles to. Oodles of it. Oodles. Uh, 16 or 17 more full episodes, mm-hmm. 45 or so, 40 half episodes, mm-hmm. what we call Hot Takes on Ice. So if you've listened to a bunch of the Mix 6 backlog and you want to find more Mixed 6, head on over to patreon.com. That's patron with an E in there. Uh, and look for the Mix 6 podcast. Uh, you can subscribe at a variety of levels and get access to a bunch of additional content and episodes that you've probably not heard of. But if you're already doing that and you've been with us for the long haul, make sure that you're doing the other things you can too. Follow us on Twitter at The Mixed 6. You can also find us on Facebook. We've got a, a group and a page. You can go to our website website www.themixed6.com and find clips on youtube finally if you want to send us something cool in the mail like i don't know uh talisker 18 year maddie gibbons Damn. feel free to send it to the mixed 6 2131 west republic road number 101 springfield missouri 65807 and as always tell your friends because we all win when we grow together everybody thanks so much for listening this is spencer This is Caleb, and I love you all, and thank you for backing, and my face says that, too. You're going to have to trust me on that. Yeah, no, this is radio. It looks really good. He's crying, which is actually an adorable face. It really is. Very fuzzy. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll see you next time.